Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, welcome back. Here we are, um, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Dr. Rick Hunter and myself having a good time uh, setting these up. And these are just a reminders of the season, the season. Advent. Um, please be aware that cr- both Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve are on Sundays this year. We are having our regular Sunday services, at least in the regular slot, on Sunday morning, on Christmas Eve, and on New Year's Eve in the morning. But you can watch them at evening if you want to, because they will be geared toward the day, and the messages will be about Jesus and that day. So we hope you join us then. Um, my favorite time of year, frankly. I don't care for cold weather, but I love the Christmas lights and the songs and all of that. So here we are. Um, tell you what, we're, we've got at least two sections we're going to try to hit today. So I'll read the short section. Verses 31 through 33. He then began to teach them about... Now, he just told them he was the Messiah. Don't tell others about it. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. This, if you know your Hebrew scriptures, your Old Testament it's, it's all about that. He's trying to bring those stories and show them they're really his story. And by the way, just an aside, look at who is rejecting Jesus. It's the religious people, the heads of the religious people. And I'm sorry to say, but in my decades of working with churches, it's not the people that are really the problem. It's the people who think they are religious leaders who are the problem. And they get in the way, they stumble, they break churches. Uh, the, more, the more you hand your life over to Jesus, the less power you have. And I think that people with power want to keep the power. So he spoke plainly about this. And Peter, I love Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Come, you know, come on, Jesus. You know, I know you're God, but you're going to have to back off this. This is a bad plan. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. How many times have I gone wrong because I did not have in mind the things of God? I had in mind human concerns. I can remember one church I went to, Rick, where I uh, went to work with them. And these were good people. I am absolutely good people. And I'd only been there a few months when the elders called me in and said, you know, things are going great. Uh, we want you to help develop a five-year plan for the church. And I said, and what would that entail? Because as you know, I have no, no background in business, administration, uh, Excel sheets, nor do I have a background in professional ministry studies. I just tell my stories. Well, 
they said, well, like in three years, we're going to have this many people. And this, we're going to be doing this. And in five years, we're going to have this many people. And when they were done, I said, brothers, I love you, but I can't do this. And they said, why not? And I said, if I do my job, we might have no people in three years. Because you know, my job is to talk to people about Jesus. And if that doesn't work, we're going to lose people. That didn't make them happy, by the way. But they understood it. And we went without those kind of plans. And I, we had a wonderful 10 years at that church. Just loved it. And left it because we wanted the next generation to come up and take it. And people kept hiring away the others. But the point is, if we start using human measuring sticks for church's success, we're in trouble. And for our success. My job is to love my neighbor. That might get me in trouble with my neighbor if he wants to be left alone. And I say, sorry, uh, I might have annoyed the neighbor. But my job was to give him a try. You know, see what I could do to love the neighbor. We just sometimes forget this. But again, Peter didn't like the plan. I think that Satan didn't like the plan. I think that's how he became Satan. Fell from whatever angelic post he held was that he didn't like God's plan. And so whenever Peter basically says the same thing Satan does, in other words, dying, no, no, bad plan, Jesus has to stop him. But often wonder, and I'm going to just ask you a question, then I'm going to back off a little bit in case you want to fill in some gaps. Often wonder whether it didn't bother Jesus, um, and the way I'm phrasing that is very, very poor. Let me try again. That at some level, this bothered Jesus because he did not look forward to death. You know, the garden shows us that. And therefore, he's tempting Jesus at some level to opt out. And Peter doesn't understand what he's doing. He thinks he's being a good friend. But am, am I missing something? I fill in some gaps there? Yeah. Or? The, um, and this, this feeds in directly to the point that, that uh, we brought up in, in our previous lesson. So if you haven't, haven't listened to last week's, make sure you, you go back that we, that about this thought that Jesus is talking to Satan and not necessarily to the apostle that's in front of him. And, and, then, yeah. and then even when you get to the wording, get behind me, Satan, you, you know. Um, and um, it says, you know, and he, he's not... He's looking at, you know, he's looking at Peter, but he's saying, get behind me, Satan. So mm -hmm. now you kind of see how that thing right. kind of jumps in. So get behind me, Satan, because you don't, you don't savor what I'm here to do. You're here to, to set up your own reign and stuff like that. But that, um, that is critically important, you know, what you, you brought up. And it's because of the fact that we get, all, all of us, mo people that love the Lord, let me say it that way people that love the Lord they are when they when they move into this lane you know of I mean, the Lord meaning putting Christ ahead of them in their life making them ahead of their life they're, they're striving now to fulfill what it what a Christ-like spirit is in this world in the best way they know the best way they can the best way they know how and then they're trying to learn the best way and by learn it, I don't mean just learn it as I never knew it, but learn it to implement it. Learn it to implement it. Uh, um, 
which is critically important because that's where Satan goes on the attack. It's not so much that Satan and the force of Satan is concerned that you know Christ or like that um, as long as you never get around to implementing it. Okay? <laughs> and uh, um, and I know for our audience, you know, Patrick, that, that this is going to be hard to hear. And I think I said it, um, I did say it in, you know, in this, uh, one of the sermons that I preached here and stuff that, that is online, is that Satan could care less about you. He could care less about me. He could care less about anyone. Matter of fact, he doesn't, his goal really isn't you. He, if he could just dismiss you and not even have to pay attention to you, that would be the best wish you know, of, of Satan. But he messes with you. He messes with me. He messes with those that are listening. He's messing with us because in you is where Christ resides. That is in your heart, your mind, your spirit, your desire to go forward and do. That's where Satan is is residing, you know, and he is knocking us all around that cage. Uh, um, you know, whenever if you watch WWE or whatever, those kind of are when and in the octagon cage and those wrestlers, when you see them, you know, you know, start slamming each other and throwing each other mm-hmm. on the cage and stuff. Picture yourself in there with with Satan, you know, and um, and he's giving you what for? Uh, I mean, and he does not care. Uh, um, and the only reason he messes with you so badly is because the impact on Christ. You know, and then getting you to look at Christ a certain kind of way. And um, and the fact that he's already had a shot when Christ was in the flesh to try to stop this, this what he called madness, but he could not do it. So he said, I can't get him, I'm going to get you. And, um, and most of you, hopefully all of you, but most of you who are parents, if you've had children... You may have hurt a certain kind of way, but you probably never hurt like it is when somebody started messing with your child sure. and started going after after your child. You you probably came close to tearing up some stuff if you didn't tear it up already because people started messing with your child. And we see it. We see it going on around us all the time. You leave my child, and especially when they're being held accountable or being forced into something. Uh, um even now, when you think about um, people who maybe have led your children into addiction and stuff like that, there's a special place in your heart that you've marked out over in this area. goes everything I don't want Christ to touch, <laughs> you know, or to have any impact with and stuff like that. Because if I ever see this, if I ever get a chance to go at this person here, and, um, and that's critical. Yeah. Uh, Paul talks about building, allowing Satan to build strongholds in your mind. Mind. Because you've given him the real estate, as you said, you've marked that Jesus doesn't enter this, but, you know, the love of Christ does not cover this. Exactly. So I get you. Yeah, and and part of some things that we're seeing going on in the, in the world now, and and then more particularly, I'll speak to the way that that they are, or ask the question about the way that they're manifesting themselves, the dialogue on on colleges in the United States today, as the way they think about certain kind of things. People is is just. It, it, it's inconsistent with what God is doing, you know, but because of the fact that we're willing to let God be exposed, 
we're going to be a mouthpiece for Satan or a mouthpiece for something that does not, that is against humanity. And Christ has never been against. Matter of fact, that's why he came. Um, but but it, but it's hard to. It's hard, it's hard for us to get down that road um, because Satan, it's not like when Satan has us on the mat, you know, and he's got you by the neck, you know, or got his legs wrapped around you and he's, and you, and you know, you're gonna, it's not just the feeling of going through that, you know, but, um, but he, he's trying to get you to tap the mat. In other words, he's trying to get you to say, Christ, Christ doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean if, if, if I'm free up walking around and you leave me alone, Christ doesn't mean anything, which means he doesn't mean anything in the way I talk to people or the way I think about them or the way I allow them to go ahead, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt or make sure that they're OK. And the he, he, he does not. That. And that's where he's trying to get us. Um, and that um, denying himself. Uh, um, in verse. Yeah, and when he turned and Bruce said to get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And um, oh, when we get to the next section, that's the where we're going to pick up yeah. that that deny himself. Oh. That that's where it's going to come up, uh, um, even with harder impetus, right, right there, because of what that phrase means. So I'll yeah, go uh, ahead, read that section. You, you want, Absolutely, we're going. Okay, we're picking up now at verse number thirty-four. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Uh, and then verse number 36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father and the holy angels. And I think this goes over to nine one. So I'll, I'll read it there and then we'll go back. Uh, and he said to him, assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Or kingdom of God come with power, depending on where mm-hmm. you're reading it from. Uh, um, okay, then back at verse number 34. When he had called the, the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself. Let him deny himself means to start on a death march. Literally, that's mm-hmm. what that language means. And, and any time it comes up, deny yourself, you know that the picture of it is to start on a death march. And of course, um, a death march signified was the picture of when Christ, when the cross was put on his shoulder and he marched out to Golgotha mm-hmm. to start on a death march. Now, you're not, you're not starting on a physical death march like that from one point to the other. Um, but in your spirit, in your soul, in your, in your life, in where you're going, you start on a death march. Uh, um, in other words, of giving up. Because uh, people knew at that time when you started on the death march, they already knew your life was over. 
it, they didn't look at it as your life being over when you were actually hung up on the cross and stuff. They looked at your life being over when you started on that death march. Uh, um, everything, everything now was out of your control. Um, it just wasn't. And so Christ is saying all the stuff that's going around you is, is in the control of the spirit of God within you. Okay, so start on your death march. And, and our struggle is, is a death march does not look like what we today think of godliness. It does not look like um, God loving you, you know, God blessing you, God holding you, God doing, you know, those kind of things for you. That's one of the reasons why prosperity gospels, why they tend to hang around. Yeah. Um, and it's not so much the, that the people can see everybody in their particular congregation prospering a certain kind of way because they're not. Yeah. Um, it's the fact that there's the hope of it, you, right. you know, the fact that there's a hope. And then, of course, then they bring in speakers constantly that are saying, I've got this secret thing over here mm-hmm. that we're doing, and this is how I got there. And then the, the whole preaching of that congregation says, see, see what God is, God is doing. Again, all you got to do is walk out the door of the church, point in any direction you want to, and walk, start walking. And you're going to run up on that not being the case. Uh, you know, and, um, you know, but that's why they're there, because they want to believe. And, so, um, and even in churches, Orthodox or any other, we have a tendency to look at people that are prosperous um, physically as prosperous with God also. And it's, and it's not the case. You know, I'm not saying it's never the case. It's just not the case. One, they're not together. Those two things don't run together. They can be prosperous and right there with God and all that. And then they can not be prosperous and, and not have a vein for God in them. Um, it's what the person is doing inside. Now, um, here, uh, you know, Patrick, is where um, liberation theologies um, liberation theologies, uh, like uh, uh, feminine theology, uh, black theology, uh, mudarista or, you know, Hispanic theologies, mm-hmm. you know, this is the vein where, where their theology starts running at right, right here. Um, that's what they're looking at. Um, James Cone, who wrote, um, and I mentioned him before, uh, black, black theology, black power. He wrote that, that if and, you, and did you uh, was that a name of a book? Uh, um, yes. What, what was yeah, it? Yeah, uh, uh, black black theology, black power. Okay. Okay. And that was James Cone. He was the one that was at the foundation of of writing that as a theology. You know, like we look at Karl Barth or Paul Tillich or mm-hmm. all of them or before. Uh, um, he brought forth this as a theology, and that is the mind of Christ in the life of the believer. In other words, how can you say that you are a Christian if you don't have humility and mercy for mankind? How can you say that you are a Christian if this isn't your mode of operation, you know, as a person going forward in this world? And he believed that that if you can't see this, you need to question whether you're actually with God, you know, or, or not. And so that's where a lot of the attacks come on this theology. And of course, even the liberation theologies, you know, the South American, you know, all, all of them are right there in the, in the same, um, the same kind of playing field. And, um, 
and we come to find out that that is, that is part of what we have to do. There's more to it than that, but that is significantly a part of it. How, how can Christ be in you? How can we change this world if, in fact, the love of Christ, you don't see it coming out of you? If you sit on a board, if you sit on a board, and the board decides that, that we are not going to undertake this particular thing to handle hunger, you, you know, or... <coughs> you know, or, or salary or wage and stuff like that. How can, how can you look at yourself, you know, and say that you are a vessel, you know, of Christ? How can you say that Christ is in you? Okay. And this goes to every area of the world. Of the world. Um, as you mentioned earlier about a meeting that you, that you have, you know, with leaders in the church, I had a, <laughs> I had a professor, <laughs> one of my professors in theology, he, he was preaching for a very robust congregation in the Northeast, and after service one Sunday, one of the um, one of the uh, wealthier members of the congregation said, "Come on, we want we want a ride." You know, he says, and he's, you know, so he told this member told this chauffeur, "Get the get the car." It was a Rolls Royce. Pulled the Rolls Royce around, told the preacher, "Hop in, let's go ride." He said, "Well, that was good. We love the servant, this, that, and the other." Now. I'm going to tell you now, this is how this story, now he's talking about the Bible. He said, but this is how this story is going to play out here. And this, <laughs> and then the church, and he, he looked at me and said, okay. Well, you said, well, okay, I understand what you're saying. Um, and he said, well, I'm going to pack my stuff up this week and I'll, I'll be gone by Saturday. And it was nice work. And he, left, he literally left. And that's how he got over on the academic side, you know, <laughs> of teaching. And he was sharing, and there's more to the story, but I don't want it to get so tight that you can start looking at, <laughs> at certain things and people, uh, but but he just has that and that because he just, that literally that literally is things that we go through, either mm-hmm. inside families, inside companies that people and we look at people that are sitting in a congregation on Sunday and have no idea you know the battles that they're facing. They want to do this to get ahead and go forward, uh, um, but they're being asked to minimize or sell their conscience, and right. some of them a real faith, you know, or either to, to play it out on the outside, make sure that we give to goodwill or make sure you donate, you know, to bread for the world on the outside, but don't, don't deal with this stuff right here. With this, that, yeah, that the, the chasing after <clears throat> riches is, is one of the worst things we could do. Chasing after numbers, chasing after any worldly metric of success pulls us away from the death march. The ability to pour our lives out. And Paul puts it very plainly. He'll say, I'm you know, dead to myself, alive to Christ. Um, dead to our old selves. Uh, what is it, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? In the scheme of eternity, this life is a blink of an eye. It is a vapor that quickly vanishes, as James would tell us. Um, and we often trade, like Esau, our future for a little bowl of soup today. And I, I think the Esau story is closer to our story than perhaps we've ever really grasped and preached. Because what if we traded away for this? You know, somebody will be married to a faithful wife or a faithful husband for years and years, and then they decide because this one's prettier or this one has more money, and they leave. And then they realize... I've traded away something precious for something that I thought was sparkly and wonderful. Um, divorces, for example, 
people say one out of two marriages end in divorce. That's only true if you look at the rough figures. First marriages, over 70% of those stay. They, they keep. The people that start divorcing very often divorce again and again. And that's what's driving the numbers. So if you go look at marriage licenses versus divorce decrees, you're not looking to say, well, some people are responsible for several over here. Um, it is, what are we trading away? You know, what are you trading away to get whatever it is you're chasing for? If you keep your eye on Christ and you bring your faith into the world, as you said, then we don't throw away our mate. We don't throw away our children and grandchildren. Um, they, they are precious. But what's really breaks your heart, verse 38, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Um, if you want to get in trouble on a college campus today, you won't get in trouble for calling for the genocide of the Jews. You won't get in trouble for yelling racist stuff uh, as a rule. But if you start speaking of faith in Jesus, you can get ostracized really quickly. You, because if I say, for example, I believe that God's intention was that marriage is between a man and a woman. That doesn't mean that I think God hates or dislikes anybody in the LGBTQ plus community. Because uh, I, I don't. I believe God loves them dearly. And I don't sit around and judge them. You know, they, they figure out their path before God. But they don't return the favor. If I say, this is what I think God wants, I get attacked. In fact, I was disinvited from speaking at a university in Delaware that was supposed to be on how we can live together with all of our differences. When some people found that I had preached things they didn't like, they called and said, you can't come. And I'm going, it's a seminar on diversity. <laughs> I, I, I would think diverse viewpoints is what you were expecting. No, we, we just can't tolerate that. I found if you don't watch out, you can start being ashamed to speak of the things of God. You know, I have Muslim friends who are dear friends. In fact, one of them is as close to me as a brother. But I'm not ashamed to say I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That doesn't offend them because they know that's who I am and what I believe. By the way, I'm not offended whenever they tell me they think Jesus was just a great prophet, but Muhammad was greater. I disagree with them, but I can still love them. Somehow we've got to get back to a world where we can disagree with each other, but still love each other and serve each other and care deeply about each other. And I, I, I fear that some of us are becoming, if not ashamed of saying the things of Jesus, we're just not openly doing it because of the consequences. Mm -hmm. But if we're on a death march already, why not? Exactly. And, and that's, that's what this whole theology that raises up out of this verse, deny thyself, you know, take up your cross and follow me, is living for Christ is just going to flow from a person who's living for Christ. You know, and I'm not saying they're perfect. 
okay, so this, so this doesn't go into into that area. So don't you, you know don't don't lean your head out the car if you're driving and start saying, oh, I can't breathe because I got to be. This this was never about perfection because Christ already told us we're not going to get there, and right. Paul reiterated it. Uh, and and we ought to be thankful. Hopefully, we're thankful that we see all of Paul living out before Christ, you know, and what he did and stuff like that, because that gives us hope in our hopelessness, you know, in this thing around us. That gives us hope to keep going forward. Uh, um, that Christ is, is going to work through us. He's going to manifest Himself um, through us, and we just have to keep going mm-hmm. and, and not deny. Christ his place um, when I feel I should stand up I, I need to stand up mm-hmm. uh, um, you don't need to push me to stand up it needs to be what Christ is doing in me um, you know and sometimes when we get pushed to stand before we are, we are ready it brings all kinds of damage um, with it and so every but every person as you mentioned earlier is on this journey with with the Lord and they'll they'll get there because he's going to bring it he's out gonna bring it. it's whether it's how we uh, open up ourselves to him and I believe that that's uh, in scripture that's why we start looking you know down toward the end of heaven on the other side you know there, there's going to be that have been faithful that are, are rulers over so many cities and stuff like that. it's not that they are not that heaven is not there and they're not there, is the fact of how you gave yourself. And, and you, can't, you can't judge or measure people by where they are um, because all of us start at different places. Right, on journeys. Um, with, with the Lord. Right. And if, if somebody starts on third base and they're headed to home, the Lord is really, I'm with the Lord, the Lord's really with me. <laughs> But they don't understand they started on third base. Right. And then another person that's just just getting to, to second and it looks like it took everything in his life, his breath, everything just to get to second base. And you're laughing at him and not realizing that he didn't start even in the city where the, where the baseball field <laughs> was. He started out somewhere way off. And, and I'm right. talking now about the things that they've been through in their life, what they were subjected to, how they were. Mm-hmm. But this person kept on. Uh, and... Um, and 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 if we're not careful, when we fall into traditions of legalism and stuff like that, we start judging. Why isn't this person this? Why isn't that person right. there? And we can't because it depends on their journey um, with the Lord. We're thankful that they're with the Lord, and we encourage and bless where they're going. And of course, it becomes harder because we want everybody to be what we say Christ says they need to be, you know. And instead of letting Christ say, "This is my servant." Which in, when in fact, that's what he's constantly doing. Because when he, when he um, started calling the, the Gentile, I was in. Oh, that nearly tore up everything yep. that he did. And the Lord said, well, okay, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but it's not going to stop it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we need to understand today in the church is whatever we teach is not going to stop Christ from doing whatever it is that he is doing and what has been in his mission and purpose from the beginning. Uh, um, it doesn't stop that. Right. Uh, um, it may stop us and detour us, but it doesn't stop stop Christ. And that's the part that we that we need to pray and look more about is is, is I I need to give in to this thing so that God is maximizing whatever time I have here, whatever voice I have, and stuff like that. Uh, and why learning um, is, is not learning. 
a person doesn't need to go to school this many years to get a degree in theology, you know, for you to say this person is all that and they're really near the Lord. I'm no closer, nor are you than, than anyone, you know, else that's out there. It's just where you dedicate your time and your thinking and your help. Now they, we often um, will say, God, go with you. Or we'll say, go with God. And I think both are fine, absolutely fine. But it does remind me that sometimes we'll say God's on our side. You know, because we believe this or we're this politically. Or we're this, and we'll say God's on our side. And I always remind people of the Joshua moment before Jericho. He walks out into the, the night, into the desert to pray. And he sees a mighty warrior standing there. Now Joshua is not afraid of anybody. You, look, you read, he is not afraid of anybody, anytime, anywhere. But this guy knocks him down on his face. I just see in him. He realizes this is not somebody I can win. And so the first things out of Joshua's mouth are, are you for us or are you against us? And the being, he says, says, neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Mm-hmm. That I got chills again. You can't see the goosebumps, but they're goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Um, and we only got a couple minutes here, but I think... There comes a time where you have to say, whose side are you on? Don't say God's on my side. Whose side are you on? How can I tell that you are? They used to have this little thing I heard way back in the 80s or something. If it ever became illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence against you to Is convict it? you? I think some of that was guilt and shaming. But, you know, think about that sometimes. You're a Christian. How do I know? And I think it's through love. As I brought up many times, one time I came home after a trip to Walmart, and my wife said, how did everything go? And I said, well, I met a Christian there. And she said, well, who, who was it? And I said, I don't know. I can just tell you by the way they looked and acted, I met a Christian. That's what we need. We need we, when the world gets dark, shine brighter, you know? Mm-hmm. And for all of those of you that um, you got Christmas in five days, I'm excited for you, and I'm excited for us. Favorite time of year. Wish it lasted longer, and I know many of you don't. But you see, we're different. Uh, I look forward to next week, because next week in chapter 9 is one of my favorite stories, because I think we have completely missed the point. And so I believe it's a hinge point of history. So I look forward to hearing what you think about it next week. But for now, we're going to let you go. God bless you. We'll see you in a week.